Hello everyone, welcome to SCVO's seventh policy podcast in this series, um, which is based on our book Charities Scotland and Hollywood, 20 Years to Living Change. I'm Jenny Bloomfield, the Senior Policy Leader at SCVO, and today I'm really pleased to have with me Helen Todd, who's Campaigns and Policy Manager at Rambler, Rambler Scotland. Hi Helen. Hi there. Um, thanks for coming in. So we're here to talk about right to roam legislation, and that came in all the way back in 2003. So for those of us who aren't familiar with the legislation, can you just briefly tell us what it allows? Yes, well the legislation is the Land Reform Scotland Act 2003, and it was actually in three parts, and the first part was about access legislation, while the second and third parts were about right right to buy, community right to buy, Mm -hmm. so very different. Um, The access legislation um, pretty much set into statute what most people probably thought was the case anyway in Mm -hmm. Scotland in terms of access, in that um, it established a right of access on all, more or less, all land in Scotland and inland water as well, with exceptions. Um, And the exceptions are the kind of places you'd expect not to be able to access anyway, sort of... um, airstrips and airfields mm. and quarries and playing fields when they're in use mm-hmm. and private gardens yeah. uh, that kind of thing so obviously rights only come with responsibilities so as part of the act um, it actually didn't come into effect till 2005 because between 2003 and 2005 uh, there was a drawing up of a code of good practice of responsible practice which went along with that so that was the Scottish Outdoor Access Code And that was all published in February 2005, and that's Mm -hmm. when the Act finally came into effect. Great, amazing. So 2003 was quite a long time ago, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast series is to help people in the sector learn about campaigning and uh, ways to go about it. And I'm just curious, so if we can just reimagine ourselves back in those times, what was it like campaigning then, and were there tools or tactics that you used that you wouldn't use today? Well... I guess I actually came up to Scotland in 2000, so I can't say exactly what it was like before the Scottish Parliament, but I was obviously around in the very early days of the mm. Scottish Parliament. And um, the history of access campaigning goes back right to the 1890s. So that gives you some idea of how long uh, people were trying to get a you know, right to roam, in effect. Um, and James Bryce's Access to Mountains Bill in 1894 or something like that just kept getting knocked back again and again and again. And um, the SNP took it up in the 90s and tried again, that didn't get anywhere, and so it was really when the Scottish Parliament came along that um, they obviously wanted, you know, the government of the day um, had a, had been lobbied for many years about land reform and they had it right in their first uh, programme for government, and so uh, in a way it was an open door, as in mm. there will be access legislation, okay. it's just what it would look like had, it was all to play for, but... Um, I know my director at the time, Dave Morris, who led the Ramblers through all of this time, he is ad- adamant that we would never have got this legislation if we were still in Westminster, mainly because the House of Lords would just not have passed it. Right. Um, same with um, national parks in Scotland, we never got that until 2000 either. And Again, is that because most people were landowners who sit in the laws? Yes, that, I think so, sort of, and they just okay. didn't see the need, they didn't, you know, they didn't see the need to change, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. And of course any um, potential threat to, to the power that they had. So do you feel then at that time that you as a Rambler as as Scotland were able to be closer than maybe to the MSPs? Then even then maybe you could be now, so as, as, as one of the first organisations sort of through the door. 
Yeah, potentially. As I said, it was um, Ramblers have been you know campaigning about this since Ramblers Association as was was founded in the 1930s. I mean, that's why our organisation existed. Mm. And so for years and years and years, there was legislation. And there were, you know, small steps along the way. Uh, it wasn't all failure. Mm. But um, certainly in the 1980s, the Ramblers recognised that um, there was going to be a different uh, process in Scotland as for the rest of England and Wales, because we could see this Scottish Parliament potential, devolution potential. So... Um, I think the kind of uprights that we had in Scotland would never have happened in England and Wales at that time. Mm. And, and they still don't have the mm. same mm. the same rights because of the different culture and, and so on. So, yes, I think having that um, relationship, because a lot of the MSPs who were putting through the Land Reform Act had actually been in Parliament as MPs and so were well aware of, right. of all of this this debate. So, yes, and we had very close relationships, obviously, working with them for many years. Great. Lots of the campaigns in our book use collaboration to make their voice stronger. Was that true with you too, or or did Ramblers Scotland go it alone? We couldn't have done it alone, no, not at all. Um, I think there was quite a, as I said, this has been going on for many years, Mm. there were examples like um, the Letter U Accord, which was a mountaineering council of Scotland, as was, and Ramblers Scotland coming together to look at um, a particular part of, of Scotland about in the Northwest Highlands um, to make a, an access agreement with the landowner who was trying to close people off. There was um, lots of discussions about responsible access during stalking, that again, that came, the, the bodies came together. But throughout the land reform process, it was the, the canoeists, cyclists, horse riders, walkers, mm. mountaineers, all came together and worked on block, if you like, mm-hmm. because we were very clear that there wasn't going to be any dividing rule. That yes. um, I mean, for example, down in England and Wales, the you know, paddlers, canoeists, do not have the right of access on water, um, and they've they've sort of been working on their own. Whereas here, it was all very much, you know, we all fight together and we all you know fall together. We all back each other up, and that continues today. Actually, we're all very much um, working together to keep the the access agenda right yeah. in the public eye. And how did you go about building that coalition? Well, Scotland's a small place. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, also a lot of us, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I work for the Ramblers, but I'm also a mountaineer and yeah. I'm a cyclist. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a lot of crossover mm. because these are, mm. this is what we do in our free time for, mm. for many of us. So we have those relationships with those other organisations on a personal level as mm. well as professionally. Mm. Um, but... I mean, obviously, some organisations are better resourced than others, mm-hmm. and this was such a priority for the Ramblers that we worked... I know we worked very closely with Mountaineering Council of Scotland, again, because it was a big priority for them. Mm. Mm. Amazing, thank you. Um, so, just moving on to media, so, again, lots of the organisations that I've been speaking to in this series use media very effectively, so just if you could tell me a little bit about how you guys use the media, if at all. Yes, well... Certainly there were um, all sorts of um, small marches, large marches and so on, and across, across GB actually for the Ramblers. Um, but I think there were a few things that really galvanised the argument and one of them was the, the sale of Glenfleshy Estate being advertised, I think it was the late 90s, it was being advertised as buy your own private kingdom in the Highlands. Right. You know, so that was obviously a real flashpoint um, because everyone believed that um, if that attitude was getting through to buyers that they were going to be able to buy a private kingdom, then obviously that would 
um, set back <laughs> the case of access on that land mm, for, mm. for a long time. So there were all sorts of, um, I mean, I guess it's the traditional kind of letters to the press, getting articles in when, I mean, we did have a few um, sort of pantomime villain landowners that you could, <laughs> could uh, um, protest against. But generally speaking, um, yeah, I guess it, it, there was a, a massive campaign to mobilise our membership. Right. Um, you know, the usual things as you'd expect. Mm -hmm. And now without social media, of course, so it was all yeah. you know, faxing press releases. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So do you think that you use the media and the public sort of in tandem, working together on that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you use any lever you can, don't you? But, mm -hmm. um, but also just educating people what the situation was and why we needed to change because even from our members a lot of members would say but you know we can we can always walk where we want now anyway what's mm. the big deal and landowners certainly were saying but we don't need legislation we don't want you know, we don't have a problem with people coming on our land and actually that's all true but if you have a problem then you can't resolve it if you don't have legislation. Yeah. So it's all very well um, walking around and having no problems whatsoever, but if, you, if you're told, sorry, get, get off my land, yeah. where do you go? You don't have any right to be there. You have a customary, traditional freedom, if you like, to be there, but you don't have a right. And certainly um, we were involved as Ramblers in Scotland and across GB with um, Channel 4. They made a, a very hard-hitting mm -hmm. documentary I'm trying to remember what it's called, a Forbidden Land, I think it was called, in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. And that one, um, there's a lot of sort of hidden filming, which is <laughs> slightly questionable in these days of GDPR and so on, mm -hmm. um, where um, the, our, our director, Dave Morris, would actually walk into places with, with you know, obviously people with him, uh, two or three people with him, and um, want to go through a piece of land and the landowner would pop up and say no sorry you can't come through I mean obviously these are cases we knew about mm. and uh, it was all on film and it was very um, very eye-opening I think for a lot of people who just yeah. didn't realize that this was the case that yeah. you know there were places where you really couldn't go even though this is not through people's front gardens you know this was just <laughs> land that you would expect to be able to walk on and how did that come about? How have you got the contact with Channel 4 to do that? Do you know? Um, I don't know, actually, but um, I, I have seen the film, and because it was across um, England and Wales as well, it wasn't yeah. just about Scotland. I yeah. guess it was um, Channel 4, also in its early days, actually, relatively mm. early days, wanting mm. to um, have a hard-hitting documentary series about an issue of the day. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And then just to go back to a little bit about your work with MSPs, so you said a lot of the MSPs knew about the issue because they've been MPs before, but mm. even then, how did that relationship develop? Because obviously, mm. like, you know, lots of us are really keen to mm. work with politicians and to help them understand the issues mm. that are important to our organisation. So how did you yeah. guys go about that? Well, I guess, um, I, I mean, I wasn't actually involved in the pre-legislation yeah, sure. time, but... Um, a lot of the, well, it was a Labour Lib Dem coalition, mm -hmm. and we had succeeded in getting that into their, as I say, into their legislative programme, that there would be a land reform act and there would be national parks legislation as well. Um, but it was a cross-party consensus. Um, so we worked, obviously, as I mentioned before, SMP in Westminster previously had been um, trying to get, um, I'm trying to remember, was it Annabel Ewing or... It was Sonia Ewing, anyway, uh, MP, was trying to get the legislation through in the 90s, and at the time, I believe the legal advisor was Rosanna Cunningham, 
So obviously, when you come through to Parliament here, you've got Rosanna Cunningham, who's the convener of the Environment mm -hmm. Act, uh, Committee. Mm -hmm. the, um, the committee which actually put through the legislation was the Justice Committee, the Justice 2 Committee, which was convened by Pauline McNeill, who was a lawyer and very much on board. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, having that cross-party consensus meant it was, um, as I say, there was never any doubt there would be legislation. It was mm -hmm. more how far we could go with it. Mm -hmm. And... I have to mention the research that was carried out by Alan Blackshaw, um, which was paid for by the Ramblers and, and actually Scottish Environment Link had an, mm -hmm. an access group as well, the Access Project, that um, really delved into the, the legislation. And I think this is probably quite key is here he as well. Is he an academic? Or? He was, no, he wasn't actually, but he was um, very academic-minded. But... Um, people didn't understand necessarily what the law was in Scotland and, mm -hmm. and a lot of people still believed there was a law of trespass in the same way as there is in England where landowners could ask you to leave and, and use you know, reasonable force to ask you to do so and he went through reams and reams and reams of uh, parliamentary uh, documents to find out when that perception had come about because he found things in the 19, early 1960s which said yeah, there's no law of trespass in Scotland, landowners have no remedy if someone's on the land and then it suddenly changed in the late 60s but oh yes it's the same as England so it was really down to his research to get the, the legal situation really clear in Scotland which then the MSPs could understand and go aha yeah I see where you're coming okay. from that's right this is the right thing to do. And so was that a tactic of Ramblers Scotland did he decide right what we need to do is really pinpoint this in order to do our work with MSPs? Absolutely yes and as I said the some of that work was financed through Scottish Environment Link which is obviously a wider group of environmental NGOs and National Trust for Scotland and so on RSPB involved in that so it was you know it's quite a, a big broad um, sort of coalition of civic society. <laughs> Great and then when the draft legislation came out was it sufficiently informed that everyone was quite happy mm. with it? No, okay. it was appalling, actually. Okay. Uh, the draft legislation came out and it was just so unlike everything that we'd been led to believe. And um, fortunately, I mean, I say that in a sort of ironic way, foot and mouth disease broke out. Mm -hmm. And so there was a year when nothing really happened with the legislation. Mm -hmm. uh, but what did happen in that time was that Scotland closed down, and, and obviously England and Wales did as well, and people weren't allowed to go into the countryside and go mm. for a walk because mm. of the fear of spreading foot and mouth, even though it wasn't really in Scotland, um, apart from in, in, in Galloway. So we had a year where walkers showed themselves to be incredibly responsible, and yet landowners were very happy to put signs up and not take them down at the end of the, the period. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of shot themselves in the foot a bit because it was shown that landowners and farmers were being quite obstructive to access, whereas mm -hmm. all the access people had been very responsible. Yeah. And in that time, there was time to go back and start lobbying, start making the arguments again, so that the, the second draft of the legislation when it came out was far more what we expected and much more as it is in the final legislation. So did your organisation or your allies go and speak to MSPs or were you speaking at this stage to civil servants? Or oh, both? both, yes. And obviously Scottish Natural Heritage heavily involved as well. Okay, and then did you do quite a lot of press work around that time to talk about these issues or was it much constantly, more sort of under the radar? Yeah. No, no it was constantly. I mean, my, my predecessor, I mean, I, I only know about this because yeah, I cleared out yeah. our office yeah, sure. and I found 
all these uh, you know folders full of newspaper cuttings and surveys and member newsletters. And we had a special um, mailing list of access campaigners and, and so okay. on. So yes, a lot of mobilisation, lots of local lobbying going on as well. Okay, so lots of people using their local MSPs. Absolutely, yes. And so to get members out, were you writing, because obviously back in the day, not everyone had access to email maybe, mm, mm. so were you writing out letters to people? Yeah, well, newsletters usually, newsletters, yes, okay. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Great, thank you. Um, so since the legislation's been enacted, have you found that it's broadly worked how you'd hoped? Uh, yes. Uh, in Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> There's always going to be qualifications, isn't there? Yeah. Um, Yes, in that um, the legislation has absolutely been accepted everywhere. No one is questioning the legislation at all. Uh, the Land Reform Review Group did a review in 2014 and they said it was all very successful. Uh, it's seen as world-class legislation. It's a real unique selling point for Scotland. You know, you see people coming up from England at the weekend or flying in from Ireland with their kayaks and their bike, you know, mountain bikes and mm -hmm. things because they know they've got the, the freedom... To, to go where they want here, as long as they're responsible. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, it's, it's worked really, really well. The downside is that um, the implementation, <laughs> as always, uh, is not always, in, always working that well. Um, partly because austerity, the same story with everything, I'm sure, that um, access, green space, paths, they're all seen as a bit of a nice-to-have right. at times like this, okay. you know, which you can understand. But it does mean that there's a lack of um, funding in there. Um, the number of access officers across local authorities mm -hmm. has gone down. Local access forums, uh, which are part of the legislation as well, they're all struggling to exist. Mm -hmm. um, and they're supposed to advise on access locally. Okay. Um, ranger services have been cut. You know, mm -hmm. And also, um, local authorities are terrified of going to court because they know how much it will cost. Yeah. So if you have a really, really recalcitrant landowner mm -hmm. who just doesn't want people on their land, which few and far between, I have to say, um, then the local authority maybe will write a letter saying, oh, do you think you could unlock that gate? Yeah. And if nothing happens, they do nothing more. Right. They don't then serve a legal notice because no. they could get it appealed and then they'll end up in court. Yes. And this could be hundreds of thousands of pounds. And you know, so it's understandable, yeah. but it's very frustrating. And is that something then that yourselves and other organisations in this area are working on? Yes, in fact, I'm part of a group at the moment. There's a National Access Forum, which mm -hmm. um, consists of sort of landowning bodies, recreation bodies, public bodies. And I'm part of a subgroup which is looking at using mediation services. Mm -hmm. I mean, formal mediation rather than just mediation skills um, to try and... Break the gridlock in some of these very, very long running difficult cases. Um, and but how also, was that established? How did you get onto that as a third sector organisation? Well, it's a, the National Access Forum, it's, yeah. it includes recreation bodies, yeah. so walkers, cyclists, horse riders, yeah. and so on. And so that's. that's. And was that in the legislation? No, no, we just came up with it as an idea. In fact, I think it was mentioned during the Land Reform Review uh, Group. Okay. Um, review of the legislation that this could be an option and right. so it, nothing happened yeah. and we actually approached the land commission to yeah. say would you have a role here and they said no access is part of our remit but we have too many other priorities we'd never get to it so in fact it was uh, Scotways, Scottish Rights Away Society and the Scottish Canoe Association mm -hmm. who have worked particularly on this as part of a, a wider grouping of recreation bodies to try and get the ball rolling and now it's been taken up by the National Access Forum 
and um, the next step would be for Scottish Natural Heritage to draft guidance on how the so framework could be. So your funding for that come from Scottish Government? There's no funding There's no at funding all. For it. Okay. No, we're all doing it in our own time um, because SNH is saying, yes, we need this, but we can't, we can't do it. It's, it's, okay. it's a real issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. And, of course, we have social media now. So things like if someone goes out for a walk and sees a sign that says, you know, no entry or something, mm-hmm. then people are taking a picture and going, yeah. hey, what? Yeah. You know, and we're, we've got local members who are taking on, uh, not everywhere in Scotland, I wish we did have, but we do have groups of members who are getting agitated about particular local issues mm-hmm. and we're able to help them with um, setting up radio interviews, getting a little film maybe made on mm-hmm. the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just showing the bad things, but showing what good things yeah. can happen as well, and, yeah. you know, path developments and so yeah. on. But generally speaking, we had hoped there would be a lot of investment into this uh, sort of uh, expansion of the path network because, yeah, we've got access rights, yeah. but it's paths that people use yeah. to you know, to get out there, in, in, especially in lowland areas. Mm. You're right if you're up in the mountains, but most people live in the lowland areas. Most people take access around our towns and villages, and that's where they need to be able to feel confident and secure. And also landowners need to, to feel confident and secure that yeah. they know where people are going to be. Yeah. So then on reflection, is there something that you'd wish at the time as the as the legislation was going through that you'd managed to get inserted in there that would help with any of this? It's very or? difficult to say because things like... Um, and core path plans were part of the legislation. That's drawing up a network of paths mm. around Scotland. And um, it just says that local authorities have a duty to draw up the plan. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't say, and to maintain it. Yes. <laughs> and they just did not want to tie future local authorities to a specific yes, course okay. of funding, which you can understand. But of course, it does mean that a lot of core paths are not really worth the paper they're written on. You know? Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, um, and then I think as I mentioned, so the reason that we're doing this series is to help our sector to understand about mm. campaigns that have been really successful like your own. Mm. So I just was wondering, just to close, if you've got any top tips for our listeners who are wanting to do this sort of campaign. Well, I guess being absolutely clear about what you want to achieve and, um, and also being um, doing the research, knowing it is the best course of action to have legislation, because it may, may not be. Sometimes mm-hmm. legislation is not the answer. But also having the widest coalition possible. Um, I mean, as most, I, I guess most organisations in Scotland are used to working with others, because we're all quite small mm. by comparison to, yeah. to England. And so we're used to, we know each other, we work together a lot on, um, you know, whether it's environmental issues or um, as we're a governing body of sports, so we, you know, we work with other governing bodies. And so can you make coalitions, not just with the usual suspects, but also with other organisations that would have an interest who maybe you haven't spoken to before, but could perhaps bring in a whole bunch of other um, contacts? So I guess that's, that's the thing, is, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, but, <laughs> no, it's but um, you just have to keep plugging away, don't you? You do indeed. Well, thank you ever so much for coming in, Helen. Really appreciate it. Um, so what we'll do is we'll get this podcast up on the website and we'll make sure there's a link for our listeners um, to Vambler's Scotland website as well. Brilliant. So thank you. Thank you.